0: We are the church. No matter where we're geographically located, all of us who have given our allegiance to Jesus, we are the church. And when we praise him together, when we encourage one another in the faith, we're acting as the church, even if we're not meeting together in a physical building. My point is, is that even when we can't physically meet, the church of Jesus is still moving forward. And so we're continuing in this series, Acts, the church in motion. Looking at this book called the Acts of the Apostles. Now I know that the church in motion may seem like an unfair title in a stagnant season. But really, in motion is meant to describe what the church is. And that the church, as we know, is not a building. It's not an organization. The church is a movement. The the building may crumble or we can't meet in it. The organization itself may not even be recognized by the government one day. But the church continues. See, a movement is when a group of people are working together to bring about a shared vision. You can think about other famous movements like civil rights or organic farming or Fortnite dancing, right? You know, movements aren't a may use a building, they may form organizations, but it's bigger than all of that. A movement has leaders, but it's not about any one leader. And the Church of Jesus is a movement of Christ followers living out together the redeeming mission of Jesus in the world. We are the church of Jesus. Now, the word church actually in the original language isn't all that significant. Church, the original word that the New Testament uses is ekklesia, which means gathering or group of people. Not very exciting. What makes the church truly exciting is that it is the church of Jesus. And that we are a group of people telling the world who he is and worshiping him together. And this movement that we are all a part of together got its start 2,000 years ago, which we read about in just a moment in the book of Acts. But since... 2,000 years ago, it has spanned across countless languages, nations, tribes, and people groups. And despite all the attempts to try to squelch it, it has only grown stronger. And this, my friends, this is what we get to be a part of together. This is our history. And so, for us here north of Boston, as we seek to love, and to serve Jesus. We're a part of something that cannot be squelched. But why is it even relevant during this whole season to talk about what the church is or what it's not? Because in our most difficult days, that is precisely when we need to remember who we are. And all that brought to my mind... If you've seen the movie Lion King, there's that scene in Lion King where Simba, the rightful king, knows he needs to go back to Pride Rock and win back the throne from his evil uncle Scar, but he's scared. And there's that one scene where the spirit of his father Mufasa shows up, and I'm going to try to do my best James Earl Jones impression here. And he comes to Simba and he says, Simba. Simba. Remember who you are. Remember. I thought that was pretty good. There's no one here to tell me if it wasn't good, so I'm going to assume it was good. But you get the point, right? Like It is exactly in these anxious, uncertain, annoying, angry seasons. It is in those kind of seasons where we can tend to forget who, or better yet, whose we are. And so what better time than to go back to the beginning when this movement called the Church of Jesus began to remember who we are and where we came from. And so we're going to be picking up from Acts chapter 2 together this morning. Acts was written by a doctor named Luke to give us an account of the early church and Pastor Matt did a fantastic job breaking open chapter 1 for us last week. And we're going to be moving to chapter 2 this week. And just a reminder, we're going to be in Acts for a little while. But I encourage you to be reading it with us from home. So next week we're going to still be in chapter 2. So between this week and next week, be reading 1 and 2 together. Read it through a couple times. Seek to understand it. Dig in. Uh, But then after that, we'll be keeping on moving, be reading with us. And also a reminder, as we dig into this sermon, we do have sermon notes that you can fill out in the app. If that helps you to zoom in and to focus better. But Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And we have a lot of ground to cover today. And I want to give us the big picture. So I will be skipping a few verses here and there, but I'll be guiding you as we read it. So let's just start together at Acts chapter 2, verse 1. You can follow on the screen. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what happened to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Let's jump down to verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven on him. Now skip down to verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, "Brothers, what shall we do?" Peter replied, "Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit." The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Let's pray and then we're going to jump into this. Father God... Open up our hearts, not just our minds, to receive what it is that you want to say directly to us. God, I pray that your word will come as a comfort, but also will come with conviction. That you will lead us closer toward your heart. And especially in this challenging season, show us who we are. Or better yet, whose we are. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Anytime we try to get a better grip on who we are, it's our natural inclination to want to look back and to see where we came from. Websites like Ancestry.com are making boatloads of money right now because there are so many Americans who are not sure who they are, and so they're looking back to their family of origin to figure out where they come from. Well, for us as the family of God, as the church of Jesus... When we look back to see where we came from, what do we learn? When we're looking to inform our present reality, what can we learn from looking back at the past and the beginnings? Well, first, what we see in this passage is that Jesus' church is not an artificial or man-created institution, but the result of a divine push. It's God who got this thing going. So here are the Jews in Jerusalem celebrating this festival called Pentecost, which was all about the first fruits of the harvest. And then we see this group of Jesus' disciples in this room waiting. Now, to be clear, those gathering in this upper room were not high-level campaign strategists. They, they were not the kind of marketers or consultants that you would hire if you wanted to lead an international movement. Now, these were just simple Galileans who witnessed the resurrected Jesus, who saw him ascend to heaven, and were now waiting to receive his spirit exactly as he told them to. And then in Acts 2-2, boom! It came. About a month and a half ago, before this whole coronavirus season started, my family, we were in Disney World. And there's a ride in Disney World called the Rock and Roller Coaster that goes from zero to 60 in less than three seconds. And if you've ever been on that ride, you know that feeling of just sitting and waiting and then boom! And I can imagine that's similar to what this experience was like. When the Spirit of God finally came as promised. But I I want us to see not just that the Spirit came, but a significant how it came. And at first, it sounded like a mighty rushing wind. Which I believe is God breathing life into his people. You know, there's a lot of crazy things going on here in the beginning. I'll add that. But anytime you see something going on in the New Testament that you don't quite understand... Oftentimes it's a good rule of thumb to look back at the Old Testament to see are there any events that could help us understand what we're reading in the New Testament. And what we see in the Old Testament is this event in Ezekiel chapter 37 where God brings the prophet Ezekiel out to a valley of very lifeless dry bones. And he says to Ezekiel, Command the four winds to come and breathe life into these bodies. And he does, and they come to life. And then God told Ezekiel after that, he said, in the same way, I will send my spirit upon my people. And so we see in Acts chapter 2 that God breathes life into this movement. But it's not just wind that we hear in Acts 2, but he says that the spirit shows up looking like flames of fire, fire over each person well again what does that mean if we go back to the old testament what does fire often represent the presence of god when the israelites were traveling through the wilderness by night god was like a cloud of fire leading them when they came to mount sinai he settled upon the mountain like a cloud of fire When the temple was built, it was commanded that there be lampstands within the temple that constantly burned as a symbol of God's indwelling presence. He was now with his people in Acts 2. And so we see that God has breathed life, power into his church. And he has come to dwell with them. From the very beginning, the church of Jesus did not move forward because Christians had the most money. Or because they had the most political clout. Or because they had the most talent. They moved forward because God himself propelled them forward. The apostles, they didn't have any more control... Over their present or future circumstances than we do ours. Their mission was way bigger than anything they could possibly accomplish on their own. But God, He's the one who did through them and i want you to notice as we're reading through the book of acts in this series how many times you hear and the spirit led them here and the spirit spoke to them here it has always been god's initiative and movement that has brought the church of jesus to where it is and will continue to move it forward because this movement called the church of jesus is not based on human ingenuity but it moves through a people surrendered ...to the Spirit's leading. You know, it struck me this week. I don't know how many times I've read this story... ...but it still struck me anyway. How when I encounter problems or issues... ...how my default reaction... ...is to turn to my own logic... ...or my own resources to solve whatever it is... ...instead of turning to God first. When I'm anxious... I just want to fix it. And so I end up wanting to just do, build, get busy instead of asking God for directions. But I think God often allows us to jump ahead of Him because after we've gone far enough ahead, we are then reminded of just how much we need Him. It's good to plan, to strategize. To go, to do, right? These things are good, but they can never be a substitute for prayerful discernment. It's sobering to think that as a church, we can generate a lot of activity. We can do a lot of really good things. But the power to change lives, which God ultimately wants to do through his church is only the result of cultivating a posture of prayerful waiting, listening, and worship. Prayer may seem like a waste of time unless we believe that there's a God who actually hears our prayers and has the power and desire to work in the midst of it. You know, I don't think there has been a time At least in our generation, where collectively we felt more out of control, powerless, and uncertain of what the future may hold, collectively. But what's interesting to me is that that's exactly where the apostles were. They were emptied of all their attempts to try to get this thing started on their own. And that's exactly when the Holy Spirit fills them up and moves them. Up. But what was the motivation behind God's push? God does bring about this initial push by his spirit, but but, but, but what is the passion behind this? We've seen the story that the Holy Spirit pushes us into motion because of his loving desire to unite all people in himself. You always know when something is of the Holy Spirit, when it's God not only working in us, but now his desire to work through us toward others. God's Spirit. Yes, it wants to work within us, but it's a missional spirit. It's always leading us out. So we see, Jerusalem was, at Pentecost was mobbed with Jews from all types of nations and languages. And so God knew this was the perfect time to begin his international movement. And it said that after the fire rested on the heads of each of those waiting in that room, these sim- simple backcountry speaking Galileans all of a sudden had the ability to speak languages of the people from as far as present day Iran to northern Africa to Rome. Guys, I know we see a lot of barriers right now. We see a lot of walls. But do we realize that God is simply not bound by the same barriers that we are? And what is so significant about this experience? Again, it's odd that they had this ability. Well, if we don't understand something in the New Testament, it's a good idea to look back to the old to see if that helps us understand it. And we see in Genesis chapter 11, there's a story of the Tower of Babel. When the whole earth had one language, and there were a band of human beings who sought to arrogantly build a tower that they thought could reach heaven on their own strength until God confused their languages and dispersed them. But what we see at Pentecost is Babel in reverse. And that instead of human beings going up to God in their own strength, God came down to them to unite them in His power by His Spirit. And see, when God moves... He didn't come to be a conquering power. But he came to speak an invitation of love to people of all nations. And as we see in this passage, yeah, it, it, this invitation is not just across the international community. But, but when Peter begins to quote the prophet Joel, he said that the Holy Spirit here, this is... Not just for men, but it's for women. It's not just for sons, it's for daughters. It's not just for the elderly, it's for the young. It's not just for the wealthy, he said, but it's also for the servants. It cuts across language, it cuts across gender, it cuts across generations, it cuts across social status. That Jesus died and became the sacrifice for the sins of all humanity and rose again from the dead to give life to everyone who would receive him. It was an invitation. And I think it's important at this point to to recognize and to explain that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is not a force like like Star Wars. right? The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, co-equal with God the Father and God the Son and united with them in perfect, holy love. Why is that important? Because a force, whether it be light or something else, it can be manipulated. A force isn't in relationship. A force is something that we can use as a tool. But the Holy Spirit is in perfect relationship. Now I might get a little theologically nerdy for just a second, but I need you to to, to lean in here because this is really important. The Holy Spirit is in perfect relationship unity with God the Father and God the Son. And they have been working in concert with one another to ultimately God the Father, send God the Son that He might give His life, that He might rise again by the power of the Father, that He might, and Jesus ascends to heaven, that He might send His very presence, the Holy Spirit, to dwell and breathe life into us, the church. And why is that so important? (laughs) Because that even though we're isolated from one another right now, we have a holy bond with one another that we share as members of the church because the same Spirit that lives within you is the same Spirit who lives within me. We are not alone, but we are united with one another, with God the Father, God the Son, by His Spirit. That's meant to blow our minds. That's meant to to cause us just to be in awe of what it is that God has done. It's absolutely amazing. But remember, the Holy Spirit, when it pushed the the, the church out, and the motivation was love, what what was the end goal of all of that? Where was the Spirit ultimately leading them to go? Where was this movement going? Remember, the Holy Spirit (laughs) is not just some teddy bear who exists for our own comfort. Is He the comforter? Yes. But the Spirit is also one who moves us out. And when God's Spirit moves in us... It is eventually to move through us. The Jerusalem crowds; they were captivated. Once they heard their language being spoken by these ragtag Galileans, all of a sudden this set the stage for Peter to give his most famous sermon. The Spirit had worked in Peter and was now about to work through him. Now, his whole sermon is a bit long for the time we have this morning, so I'm just going to try to break it down as simply as I can give you the high points, the cliff notes. And that Peter stands up and he says, listen, this looks crazy, but as a matter of fact, this is a fulfillment of what God spoke through your prophet, Joel. And then he said he would send the Spirit. And he said, and actually, this is in reaction to what God has already done through his son, Jesus of Nazareth. The same Jesus that you guys saw, witness his power, and you, knew, you saw him crucified. He said, well, That was actually God's plan. And God raised him from the dead. And he is exalted at the right hand of the Father. And in fact, Peter says, we were witnesses of the resurrected Jesus. And that Jesus that the Old Testament spoke of over and over again. The Old Testament said there would be one who would come from the line of David. That was Jesus. And guess what? You guys crucified him. See, Peter was more interested in telling the truth than he was making sure he was being liked. <laughs> That's for sure. But ultimately, when he laid all that out for them and they realized that God sent Messiah was the very one that they rejected, the passage says they were cut to the heart. When they realized that God's one, The one they've been waiting for was this man Jesus, which left them with this fearful question to Peter, like, well, what do we do? What hope do we have? And Peter's response to them and his response to all of us in in our own need for God and our own rejection of God is the same. And it oozes with grace. And he says, repent. What does repent mean? Turn the allegiance of your heart to Jesus. And then he said, be baptized as an outward sign of the inner reorientation of your heart toward Jesus. And that says, as a result of your genuine heart change. He says, you'll be forgiven of your sin. And not only that, but you will receive the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God. All the endless activity to try to appease your own guilty conscience. Jesus, his sacrifice was enough. All the the insatiable pursuit of satisfaction with things in this world. God. God has breathed his very life within you. And that day, 3,000 turned the allegiance of their heart to Jesus. And the fire of this Jesus movement was just getting started. And as we turn toward our day, I sincerely believe that the Spirit of God Wants to move in this generation. But he is looking for hearts that are ready to receive him. Do we still have the same spirit living within us that they did? Yeah. Does this world still need the message of Jesus? Yes. Is it still God's desire that people come to know him? Absolutely. But what does it look like for us to move forward as the church? Well, it doesn't necessarily mean we we look back and try to recreate the things of the past. But it does mean that we learn to to respond to what the Spirit of God is doing within us. You know, it's fascinating to me. That even though this season is not something we would wish upon anyone. It is an awful season, this pandemic. That even still, God has used this stay-at-home time. And that we as a church, we've had an opportunity to share the message of Jesus with more people outside these walls than we have ever since I have been here. That is through YouTube and through Facebook that we've had the chance to share this message of Jesus. That it's blown out. Of all the restrictions we've had on before. See, no walls can contain what God wants to do through his people. But if we are serious and we truly want Jesus to make a move by his spirit in this generation, we do have to wrestle with two main questions. Number one, do we really believe God's spirit is willing to work powerfully today? I had to confess this week to God and, and, and turn myself to him saying, God, I have not truly believed that you are as powerful as you say you are. Luke eleven thirteen 13 tells us if we ask God, he will give us his spirit. He will move through us. what I've realized is how quickly I've grown content with things that I can accomplish in my own strength. And the applause of human beings. And at the end of the day, because people give it a clap, I assume, well, it must be good enough. And when I grow content thinking that I can do things on my own and that what we're doing is good enough, ah, well, I'll just keep on getting busy and assume God is going to bless it. But when we look at this and we're reminded of just what God can do, and when his power begins to get a grip on us, does that not change our daily prayer to God? Come do what only you can do in our lives. This mission is not possible on our own. You have got to do it. And what I've noticed is that in our powerlessness, in our need, in our uncertainty, all of a sudden we've started praying those prayers more. Question number one, do we really believe that God wants to work powerfully by His Spirit? But number two, do I want the Holy Spirit to be my Lord Or my servant. Does that hit you like it hit me? (laughs) Yeah, the Holy Spirit is a comforter. He is one who comes to comfort us. But do I also realize that that same Spirit has come to set us free from our allegiance to anything this world has to offer. So that we can freely follow Him wherever He is leading us. Are we free to say yes to his leading, his agenda? Even though sometimes, yeah, it seems kind of scary because it may feel like a zero to 60 rock and roller coaster experience. Are we free? Or is our grip on our reputation, our pursuit of success, our security, our safety or our stuff so tight that frankly we're not truly free? To move with the Spirit of God as he leads. But to be the church in motion. Am I free to truly follow? Am I asking God's Spirit to set me free that I may truly follow? And do I really believe that He's as powerful and willing to work in our world as he says he is? The Spirit of God is on the move in this generation. Looking for hearts that are ready to receive him. In our powerlessness, he is able. In our fear, our anxiety, our anger, our grief, he comes with freedom. In our loneliness, our isolation, he is with us. But I don't want us to be fooled. The Holy Spirit is never one to be tamed. You know, the Celtic Christians, (laughs) they referred to the Holy Spirit as the wild goose (laughs) simply for that reason. He can't be tamed. But the goal is not to tame. The goal is to let the fire of God's Spirit burn within us so brightly that it begins to move out through us. And every time we say yes to his direction, it feeds that flame. I want to end with this quote from a famous Christian author, Oz Guinness. Who's speaking of this movement of the church of Jesus. He says, The story of Christian Reformation, Revival, and Renaissance underscores that the darkest hour is often just before dawn. So we should always be people of hope and prayer, not gloom and defeatism. God, the Holy Spirit, can turn the situation around in five minutes. The Spirit of God is on the move in this generation, looking for hearts ready to receive Him. Let's pray. God, I for one have been left so sobered when I look back to remember how the church began. But not just sobered, but equally challenged. God, realizing just how much I have settled for my own strength and what I can accomplish on my own or what I can possibly control or what I can move forward by my own talent, resources, or intelligence. But Father, I believe that you want to move us, your people, out beyond what we can accomplish on our own. And I believe that you want to do something within us, once again, that only you can accomplish by your Spirit. So I pray for our own hearts that you will set us free from any allegiance to this world, that you will turn our hearts to be completely and totally yours and that you will increase our faith to believe that you can move here today, even in what seemed like the darkest of seasons. You are alive. May you breathe life. May you move once again. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.